Primary Care Knowledge Boost, research in general practice. Welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Thanks for joining us today. Um, today we have a really lovely episode for you all about research in primary care and being being part of research in primary care. And to explain all about it, we have Eva Chugalska from the National Health uh, National Institute for Health and Care Research, as well as Dr Imran Gafour, who works up in North Manchester and is involved in being part of research in his practice. Um, and yet you, re- you might remember that um, a couple of years ago, back in May 2020, we actually did a special episode about COVID um, research in particular um, in primary care um, and had Dr. Nick Thomas from the Clinical Research Network at the NIHR, um, Prof. Philip Evans um, from the RCGP um, and Dr. Sheila McCorkendale, um, who works with NIHR as well, all about COVID research. But this one, is taking a step back um, and looking at um, research in general and um, in general practice and how you can get involved, the exciting stuff that's going on at the moment and um, why it might be beneficial to do so. Hi, my name's Eva Zagarska and I'm a research support facilitator for the National Institute of Health and Care Research Clinical Research Network Greater Manchester or NIHRCRNGM for the purpose of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Imran Gafour. I'm a GP um, working in Middleton in North Manchester. Unfortunately, I don't have a fancy title. (laughs) Or as many acronyms. Or as many acronyms, (laughs) absolutely. Um, But yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much both for joining us. Um, So you're both involved in research in primary care in different ways. And that's why you're both here to talk to us. Um, Neither of us are involved in research. For people tuning in, if they're not involved and they're kind of vaguely interested, they've clicked play. um, What's the kind of elevator pitch? So um, what's the kind of introduction to research in primary care would you say i think from my perspective it's probably that golden opportunity for patient care um, and gives them an insight into how things happen behind the scenes and how patients can actually have an impact on healthcare for the whole population rather than just themselves yeah it also gives them um, access to treatment that they might not actually get otherwise if they don't take part in research yeah so new and interesting opportunities there's also some investigations and tests that unfortunately aren't available on the nhs and they can access those through uh, research depending on what research they get involved in uh, they may be able to have scans that aren't available on the nhs or there's a long waiting list so it provides them an opportunity not only to improve their own health but help others um, in their long-term life i suppose and Imran, how did you get into research as a GP? <laughs> um, they say behind every successful man is a, is, is a lady. And uh, th- there was Dr. Tong, who is who used to be my trainer. All right. She realised that I'd been here for a, an X number of years. I won't say how many years I've been here at the practice. And certainly, I think she was recognising that I needed a new challenge. And she introduced me to research and thought that'd be a good way for me to sort of add another string to my bow and get involved in in different aspects of healthcare and not do the traditional um, roles. And research is something that we didn't do at the practice. And that's how I fell into it. And since I've been sort of gently guided, shall we say, I've really enjoyed it and I've learned a lot. And it's it involves working with patients as well, which is I absolutely love. Yeah. Um, 
And kind of going back to the absolute basics then, how is primary care research kind of set up in England in general and then maybe more specifically in Manchester? So I think from a general practice or primary care perspective, um, if anyone's interested in becoming a researcher in primary care, i.e. delivering the research in primary care, it's quite easy. Um, so we would start with an online module called Good Clinical Practice, which is the basis of how research should be delivered in primary care. Uh, it's about a three-hour module. You can do it in your own time, self-taught. And once you have that, you can get in touch with NIHRCRN, GM, if you're in Greater Manchester, or your local uh, CRN network, uh, and they can get you involved in uh, all the sort of studies that are available. Um, and it's up to you which ones you decide to go for. Yeah, so um, at the NIHRCRN, we are there to help and support health and care organisations across Greater Manchester. East Cheshire and East Lancashire to carry out high quality research and we do this by meeting the costs of staff, facilities and equipment and by providing a wide range of services courtesy of our in-house departments. So um, we do have a dedicated primary care research hub which currently has about 35 studies um, that are open to primary care sites for recruitment um, and they vary across different specialities such as uh, dementia, mental health, ageing, genetics. So there's all manner of studies open to primary care settings and we can provide support in terms of delivering those studies. So obviously we all are aware of how busy GP practices are. So we do have um, a delivery team of research nurses and clinical research practitioners who can come out and assist with screening and consenting onto studies to just sort of free up a bit of time for the GP practices and we also have admin who can come and help with any sort of ad research admin related tasks as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a good team of people that can help. So what does the um, the role of the GP Imran look like in kind of coordinating this? What, what would your kind of normal week be like from that point of view? Okay, so my normal week depends on how many studies we've got ongoing. And there's two sort of different types of studies that we can do, commercial and non-commercial, depending on um, what's available out there and what studies we want to get involved in. And it is important to get the right sort of studies um, and get involved with the right sort of studies to start off with and not just go for the big ones because, you know, they're big, they're amazing and uh, financially they're very um, lucrative as well. However, uh, I would advise against that. Uh, I would advise sort of going and doing the simple things first, learning about research, learning about how you can deliver it in your practice. So my week is essentially with the number of studies that we've got ongoing. The start of any study is very busy. So you may have to consent patients. You may have to do certain measurements uh, depending on what the study is. Once you have done that, then the study runs quite smoothly and every month you may need to sign a few extra blood tests, for example, if they do blood tests in a particular study, or you might need to sign off spirometry. And by the way, you do get trained in all of these things as well. And the training is excellent that the sponsors usually give you. So, you know, it will not only help you with your research, but it'll help you with your clinical and day-to-day practice as well. Um, and, And then the study usually sort of runs itself. Sometimes I have to sort of look to see why patients have come into the practice and see whether there's an adverse event, for example. For example, if someone's blood pressure drops a little bit or they develop a cold and a cough, it could potentially become an adverse event. So I would look through the notes and see why that patient has come in. 
do I think it's related to the study or whether it's not related to the study? Um, and then I would just sort of fill out a form uh, and then it's usually electronic. You put it on there and then the study sponsors, they usually collect all this information and decide whether there's an actual cause. Nine times out of 10, touch wood, it's, it's nothing, but you have to report these sorts of things. So a lot of it is looking at your patients in a little bit more detail and thinking outside the box sometimes and thinking whether the the research that you're involved in, the study that you're involved in, is actually causing the symptoms of a cold. Maybe, yeah. but highly like, highly unlikely, I should say. Um, and, and then it, that's it, really. Um, sometimes in some studies, you actually have to go out with your, you know, you have to see your patients, you have to do the intervention itself. So, for example, um, there's a study that I'm starting at the moment, uh, which is around asthmatics and doing pheno testing with the patients. So between myself and one of the practice nurses, we'll be carrying that out ourselves. But it really does depend on what sort of studies that you're involved with, uh, of how much you would get involved, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's not just a case of, well, yes, I'm, I'm involved in research and I will have to do everything. No, that depending on what studies there are, you may have very little to do. You may just have to look through a list and be like, okay, that's it. I've done my bit and, and that's fine. Yeah. You don't need to do any more. Or you can get involved at every aspect and do the consenting, um, take bloods, uh, review ECGs, spirometries, uh, scans and so forth, if that's what you want. Mm, interesting. And do you have dedicated time set aside for that, Imran? So I don't have any time set aside at the moment because I'm quite passionate in research. So I, I just do it in my own time. But moving forward, potentially, I will um, take some time out to sort of evolve the research and the practice a little bit more than what we are right now. But again, if anyone was starting, any, anyone's interested, I wouldn't go for the big studies to start off with. I think that's my key message today. Yeah. If you are interested, get in touch with um, NIHR, get in touch with the CRN and get involved with the basic simple studies because you don't want to overburden yourself to start off with. Have you got any examples of quite small projects for people to dip their toes into? Yeah, um, we've got a very sort of light touch um, study called Discover Me. Um, and for this study, you don't actually have to be GCP trained to, to do it because the study team will do the majority of it. So it's a, a genetics study um, whereby um, the participant will have to provide a saliva sample and will agree for the study team to have access to their medical records because they'd want to have a look at the DNA just to see why people are susceptible to some diseases where others aren't. Um, so in terms of the GP involvement for this study, um, they just have to agree to say that they want to take part. They will have a half an hour onboarding phone call with the study team which will just um, they have to identify a principal investigator so a lead at the site who will take ownership of the study and then there'll be a half an hour site initiation visit SIV sorry we do like lots of acronyms and once that's done all the practice have to actually do is send out a text message to all eligible participants. So there'll be an inclusion exclusion. Normally it's people over the age of 16 and they've got a capacity to consent. So a text message goes out to all their participants and then that's, that's it. The practice doesn't have to do any more. The study team send out the saliva kit 
to the participants. Um, the participants send that back. They will get a little DNA genetic report back, not a full one, just a little one. And then the study, t- and that, that's all there is. That's the only involvement for the study. So then who do they, is that um, their genetics, is their DNA on a database? Is that in terms of ownership? It, it will be. Um, obviously, all research has to go um, to be ethically approved by the Health Research Authority, HRA. So it'll go to ethics and HRA. Um, so there'll be certain questions in the application form to say who has access to that that data. A lot of the time, things like this may be anonymised, so it can't be linked back to certain people. So it all depends on on what's um, written in that application form that goes to the HRA. And then, then ultimately, they will decide whether it's ethical to be carried out. I just want to add there, so if people are concerned about finding the right patients, usually the sponsor of the study will have an inbuilt template, so with all the inclusion and exclusion criteria already on it. So we use a system called EMIS Web, um, and we just run the search, and it generates a list of patients. And then even then, you can go through that quick list of patients and quickly glance through and think, well, that patient is not appropriate for whatever reason. For example, they may be housebound, they may, uh, may be unable to come in to surgery or or come and visit mm. um, so you can exclude some of those individuals um, but ultimately it is quite easy to do recently there was another study uh, about loneliness which was just a text message sent out to the practice to patients and staff as well and, and that's it once you've sent the text message it's entirely up to the patients whether they get involved whether the staff get involved and sometimes there's just questionnaires for staff members so recently we had one regarding osteoporosis which was asking about how osteoporosis is managed in primary care so obviously it's not suitable for patients but it's suitable for clinicians because it's probably an area where everyone does different things uh, manages osteoporosis in, in different ways and that questionnaire will just go out to your gp colleagues in your practice and anyone who deals with osteoporosis so it's not just a case of oh my goodness you know we need a research lab and we need this we need that you can just stick to the simple Let's just send out a text message for this individual and and let the patients decide themselves. And then for those littler projects, do you see the benefits? Do you kind of, I guess some of the benefits will be directly seen for patients and then others might be because the practice has got this extra stream of income potentially. So um, I kind of want to ask about money. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's what everyone always asks. Question about money. If I'm thinking it, other people will be thinking it. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's there's actually a couple... Well, we run an initiative with the CRNGM called... It's got to be another acronym, I'm sorry. So it's Research Site Initiation Funding, RSI Funding. Okay, so that's basically some funding that we have at Greater Manchester to try and entice people to take part in research. And it's done in three different levels. Um, All new practices who are interested in it would start at level one. And for level one, you get £3,750 and you just have to commit to open and recruit to three studies. And that doesn't matter what kind of studies they are. They could be those little simple questionnaire ones. Um, And then if after that year 
GP practices are like, oh, I'm quite liking this. Yeah. Um, they can go obviously on to level two, which I think is 9,000. And then we have level three, which is 18,000. But obviously with level two and level three, you have to commit to doing some more studies and there'll be a variety of studies that you have to partake in. So as well as that funding from the CRN, there is also the money involved with taking part in the actual study. So that depends again on what type of study and what funding they've got. There's usually a site setup fee, which again can vary on study to study. If you if it's a big commercial one, there's normally more money involved because they're obviously a bit more complex studies. And then potentially there will be um, a per participant fee. For instance, that Discover Me one. For every text sent out, there's money. And then for every patient that gets consented, is they get £2 per patient consent. So we've had some um, surgeries that have had over 600 patients agree to take part. So that's £1,200 for them for literally just sending out a text message. So yeah, it's useful to know, I think. What are your most proud achievements with some of your projects? I think for me personally, it's been the project, um, it was a spirit study, which is looking at enclisteran and its use in primary care. Um, and I didn't realise how expensive this drug was. And the fact that we recruited quite a few number of patients to this study, and they had the intervention, and I could see how amazing this drug was. And it was a year-long trial. It was absolutely astounding to see the results. But now we're actually seeing that drug being rolled out in primary care. Uh, And I think for me, that's a really big thing because my patients have had a head start. They've had the extra support. They've had the constant monitoring as well. So I think for me, that's been one of the studies where, where the first commercial study that I've been involved in. And I've actually thought, oh, my goodness this actually does make a change in in our practice day to day. So prior to me getting involved, um, I would have no idea about Inclisteran. I would, wouldn't know what it was or, or how to give it or, or what the contraindications. But because I've been involved in the study, I feel like I've got a bit of a head start and I've given the injections to the uh, patients uh, who were involved in the research. And to be fair, they have benefited massively. Their cholesterols have come down by so much. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And actually seeing that now being rolled out in primary care, thinking, well, actually, I was involved with that. It's, it's a really, it's, it's, it gives you a sense of pride almost because you were involved at the beginning of the, of the study. So that's that's probably one of the biggest achievements I've seen so far. And to see a drug that's just been hospital-based, but now being launched in primary care, but we've already been doing that for a while so that's probably one of my most proudest achievements that's amazing yeah I I, I was uh, my question um alongside Sarah was just what we've talked about some of the smaller little studies but are there any other big exciting um studies that people might want to know about that are ongoing at the minute I, I mean there, there are there's another cholesterol study ongoing um probably going to rival the inclisteran um so so that study's ongoing at the moment as well and that's again that's quite a, a big trial and and these trials once you get involved at, at the first stage of it then they have add-ons at the end so the the patients can stay on and the patients absolutely love staying on because they get a level of care that unfortunately in the NHS right now because we're so can I say this underfunded we're overrun with work we're sort of so stressed out about everything else patients are getting a different level of care um, because the research team have got that time they're able to 
give the best possible care to the individual and you can see the changes. So we've got another cholesterol study and we've got one, an asthma study that we're involved in at the moment. And we've closed a recruitment for that one, but that's looking at a specific type of asthma, eosinophilic asthma. Um, it's called the exhale study. Um, and we're probably quite lucky because it we're probably one of the only sites in the UK to have patients. I think there's about three or four patients in the whole of GM. So we're quite lucky to have had that patient. Now that patient will get, um, you know, spirometry. They'll get uh, an in-depth review of their uh, their asthma every couple of uh, months. It, it, it just astounds me. Uh, whereas normally we would just do our quaff asthma review once a year but these patients are learning a lot more how to control their own conditions as well so for me it's a win-win because they're getting to deal with their asthma for example um they're learning about their asthma um because there's that time there that they've got specifically to understand their condition that unfortunately we all know how busy primary care is with the best will in the world we can't give that level of care and i think this is why research can really help individual patients um how does it work with industry so you said there's good ethical it needs to get through ethical approval but in terms of big pharma and things like that how how does that work for so also as well as the hra there's also the mhra which is the medicines can't remember what it is off the top of my Health head. Health Regulatory yes, Authority. Right. Sorry. Um, so that'll be for any sort of clinical trials that involve um, a drug or a medical device. So it has to go through them as well before you carry any intervention out on a, on a patient. And then you can, like you say, get involved in what, what you want as a practice. You yeah, that's it. You can tailor your research interest in what interests you personally. You know, if you've got an interest in diabetes, you can... Um, contact us at the CRN and we can just forward any diabetes study mm. to the surgery. It's entirely up to what the surgery want to do. We do have like research bulletins as well where we might highlight um, a couple of studies that are a bit slow on recruitment and they just need some more sites to take part. So we send those out regularly and obviously people have access to our research hub which lists all the studies and they can find out a little bit more which will tell them what the practice involvement is for each study. And so if people are interested in research just as patients to know what's going on, so rather than your GP needing to be switched on, how do they find out themselves? As in patients wanting to take yeah, part in research. Yeah, yeah. So we have an NIHR CRN initiative called Research for the Future, which is a consent to approach database. Um, I'm registered with it um, and have taken part in studies. So essentially, it's just um, a database whereby um, where you just register your personal details. And if you've got a particular interest in a, a disease area, you can put that or you just sign up as a healthy volunteer. And then Research for the Future will contact you when there are any studies available that may meet your criteria. Um, it's all sort of GM based anyway so you won't be expected to to travel to the other side of the country to take part and some of the studies may be an online survey and it's up to you whether you want to take part or not. Is that uh, linked up to be part of research or? So that's another initiative as well, <laughs> as well. So again, anybody can just Google this by just typing in uh, be a part of research. But again, very, very similar to research for the future. Um, it's just registering your interest and it'll tell you a little bit more about what to expect about taking part in research. 
we also have joint dementia research. <laughs> Again, another one that I'm signed up to and take part in. So you don't have to have dementia to take part in uh, joint dementia research. Again, that's just another sort of database whereby you just register your interest in taking part in dementia specific studies. So again, you can be a healthy volunteer for that. I've recently just done a quick questionnaire for them online. Yeah. So if you're dipping your toe in research, it sounds like you can do little studies that are just text-based. So you don't need an extra space in your practice or extra kit or time particularly, other than a little bit. Um, What about for bigger studies? Can you talk us through some of the practicalities and how the research network might help? Yeah. So again, it it depends on the type of study, but More often than not, before a practice carries out any intervention on patients, they will have to attend an SIV, the site initiation visit, whereby the sponsors of all the study team will go through the protocol step by step, like what the patient journey is and then what the surgery have to do in terms of collecting the data. And that also gives the opportunity for the surgery to ask the sponsor team questions and also point out things that the study team might not have thought of um, in terms of practicalities of actually delivering the study and the practices will then be required to sign a delegation log. So the delegation log will have a list of duties that are associated with the research study so that each site will have to have a principal investigator um, who will take the lead of the overall study but then they can delegate tasks to the rest of the team if there's more you know surgery staff taking part and then they all have to sign that delegation log to say that oh I'll be responsible for keeping the site file up to date I'll be responsible for consenting etc like that. Did you need more space do you think for some of your bigger projects? So all we needed was a clinical room um, for the bigger projects. And because it's quite flexible, it's on when people are day on the day off or annual leave, we can use that room for a couple of hours. And usually it's just a clinical room that's needed for some of these studies. And that's it. You're not going to be in there all the time, every single day. It's just as and when. So the research team is really good at coming in to your practice when there's space available they're very flexible and they are very willing to work around you so don't be put off if you think oh my goodness I don't have a clinical room available on Monday Tuesday Wednesdays Mm -hmm. they can even come in over lunch I think you'd be quite surprised at how flexible people can be for you especially when you get involved in research and sometimes the study team do provide you with equipment as well and then they'll let you keep it at the end of the study (laughs) absolutely that's that's another bonus Um, (laughs) So, for example, with the um, with with some of the studies, you do end up with lots of equipment. Uh, sometimes too much equipment because you don't know what to do with it. But some some of it is quite high tech. So, for example, you might end up with a pheno machine. You might end up with a point of care testing machine for cholesterol. Um, there's lots of different sort of prizes, I suppose. Yeah. Was one way of putting yes, it that can, that can uh, that can help you and your patients in your practice. Yeah. So it is a good way of getting involved and helping to deliver the best care for your patients i know keep saying that again and again and again but i don't think people realize the benefit of research sometimes we have our patients who may take a little bit more of our time a little bit more demanding and sometimes getting them involved into research is really good because it helps them not only physically, but helps them mentally yeah, as well. You can channel that energy. You can channel it into, into the right, place, yeah. into the right place, and and they're getting that um, that care as well. As as I've said before, you don't need to start 
as, as a big entity and take over the world. Small steps, do the simple stuff. Even that can have a huge impact on you and your patients. Fantastic. And you have sort of alluded to it throughout, but can anyone within the primary care team be involved in doing research within the practice? So usually um, it, you do need a principal investigator. So that is the person that would be normally the GP uh, who's got the GCP uh, certificate and they would be the principal investigator. But then after them, if, if other members of staff wanted to do it, they can also do the training and they could become a sub-PI. So for example, if I'm on holiday, I've got two or three of my partners who are able to um, sort of jump into the study and, and and do the bits and pieces that are needed whilst I'm away. Um, you can also get your nurses involved as well. You practice nurses if they want to. Um, we know they're extremely busy, but if they want to develop this sort of skill, they can also get involved. Um, if you go to the GCP website, a whole host of information is on there, lots of training modules. There's also lots of training modules and courses that the NIHR run as well uh, about being a principal investigator, uh, about being an associate principal investigator. So there's lots of different ways of finding out information about what the roles involve. Um, we always ask at the end um, what our guests would like listeners to take home from the discussion that we've had today, just the kind of big hitter messages. Um, so if each of you just want to give the listeners what your key messages are for today. Get involved, keep it simple and rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if obviously if um, GPs listening to this and they are interested in taking part in research, then they can just contact us on research support dot crngm at nihr.ac.uk and also if you're interested in my experience of setting up a site and sort of practicalities please get in touch with me at i.gaffor1 at nhs.net we'll put those links in the episode as well yeah great thank you so much thank you it's been fab really interesting thank you so much thank you Uh, so Lisa now that it's just us two how did you like that episode what were your learning points oh I thought it was a lovely episode um the I think the biggest thing that I just got throughout the whole of it was um just how beneficial it is to take part like there were so many benefits um I know that it is time consuming and it it, and if you don't have dedicated um specific time set aside to be able to do it it will be really difficult um with the pressures in primary care at the moment but if you did, just the the benefit to your learning, um, the benefits to patients, the financial aspect of it, um, the like the free prizes, um, as they talked about <laughs> that you might get to keep for the practice, it just seemed like a no brainer, didn't it? Um, yeah, definitely. in terms of the the benefits. Um, so yeah, that was the main theme <laughs> that I took away. I was thinking about it because it's been on the back burner for me as something that I'd really like to get involved in, but it's just you know finding time, and I think. Um, it was great actually listening to the origin story for Imran's how did he get involved and that kind of extra string to his bow so I think if it's people who are kind of thinking something else to do in practice um, so people for who are considering th- fellowships even or who are in practice who want want something else to do I think it'd just be such a good way in to just explore see what some of the more simple things are and then take it from there because I think especially off mic when we were talking afterwards about some of the um, benefits that they've seen I mean even just sort of being at the forefront of some of the changes I think was just yeah it just felt like such a positive version of general practice that 
would just feel brilliant, you know, just to be involved in in some of these things. And yeah, it's it's not always straightforward, but it can be. So yeah, I, yeah, it was lovely to do an episode where it's like, oh, these are really good things, and there are support out there, and and yeah, if if we can dip our toe in, that would be ace. Yeah, exactly. The fact that you don't need to like jump the whole way in, you can do do a little bit with that level one kind yeah. of stuff was really nice to hear as well. And the fact that there is all of that support from the NIHR, um, that they have people that can come and do some of the intensive stuff was interesting as well. Um, so it is, it is a, an enticing proposal. <laughs> yeah, so we hope it's been food for thought. And we also have plenty of links on the episode description for you to look up. So if you've got any questions, they're more than happy to answer. Um, and we hope you thoroughly enjoyed it. And if you want to get in touch in any way, you can do all the usual channels. We'll put those in the episode description as well for you. Thank you to everybody who continues to get in touch. Um, and please keep co- continuing to get in touch because um, we'd love to hear from our, our lovely listeners. Till next time. On Primary Care Knowledge Boost. This podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of GP Excellence, Wigan Borough CCG, Greater Manchester Training Hub and the GP Fellowship Programme, as well as Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership. Just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in 2023. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewees' opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast.